In 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, we read, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now that is not a bad epitaph. I would not be opposed. Uh, in fact, I would be honored. If I'm found worthy at the end of my life for those words to be inscribed on my tombstone. These words in scripture are spoken about Josiah. Who is really a rare figure in the scriptures. He, who is described as one who obeyed God completely. If you look a little bit later in chapter 23, verse 25, we read, Before him there was no king like him in Judah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. None like him before, none like him after, who walked in all the ways of his ancestor David, who is like the quintessential godly king, Josiah, is set above all the rest of the kings. He did what was right. Let me tell you a little bit about Josiah's amazing reign over Judah, God's people. His story is found in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. And that's where we'll be this morning, if you want to grab your Bible and go there with me. You can also find his story in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Soon after we meet this incredible man, Josiah, he is overseeing a renovation of the temple, God's house, the place where his presence dwelled among his people in a special way. And during these repairs, the high priest makes an incredible find. He uncovers the book of the law that had been lost. And this was always a strange story to me. I thought about uh, a Bible that is lost in the ruins of an old church building. But it's something that it, it illustrates a lot of the problems in Judah at this time. It was right there all along. It had just been neglected and forgotten. And that was the root of a lot of their problems. But in Josiah's day, it is located and it's read to him. And when it is, Josiah rends his garments. He tears his clothes because his people, the people over, over whom he was in charge as king, had fallen so short of what was in that book. And it broke his heart. And it caused him grief that his people, that God's people, were not following God's law. And so I ask you, and I ask myself, does it cause us grief when we discover that we have neglected? Individually and collectively, the teaching of God's word. Does it upset us as it upset Josiah? Josiah says, great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. God is not happy with what we've been doing, with how we have neglected to follow his word. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, he says. And so from here, this is when Josiah's story really begins to pick up steam. Josiah gathers all the people of the nation in Jerusalem for a reading of the book of the law. He reads the book in the presence of all the people. That's chapter 23 of 2 Kings, the first couple verses. Then he makes a covenant with the Lord. 
He renews his commitment, his devotion to the Lord, and the people join in that covenant. And then, he begins a crusade to expunge the land of idolatry. Starting with the temple and moving out from there, it is a remarkable campaign that takes him even beyond the borders of Judah to snuff out any evidence of idolatry in the land, anything that goes against God's will. You really ought to read chapter 23, 4 through 20, because it goes into detail about the length to which Josiah went to rid the land of the stain of wickedness and idolatry. And, and again, I ask myself, am I introspective? Am I trying to root out and repent of the idolatry in my own life. Because as I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Anything really. Can become an idol. An idol is anything to which we ascribe more worth. Than our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can begin to worship anything. What are those things for me? What are they for you? What are the idolatrous strongholds. That need to be toppled in your life. As the statues of Baal and the Asherah poles and the wickedness in the temples were toppled in Josiah's day. And finally, Josiah celebrates the Passover. This most beloved Jewish feast that celebrated the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And we're told this holiday has not been celebrated in generations. And Josiah says, enough of that. It is time for God's people to once again remember how God rescues, rescued us out of the hands of slavery. So that is just a sweeping overview of the remarkable reign of Josiah. He did what was right. He did what was right. And it's important to note that Josiah did what was right against long odds. It was not easy for Josiah to do the right thing. He did what was right despite significant obstacles. He faced a very steep uphill battle to do what was right in his day. For starters, he came from a family who didn't do what was right. And he did what was right anyway. His granddaddy Manasseh is one of Judah's most evil kings. And we read about him in 2 Kings chapter 21, the, the chapter before we read about Josiah. We read that he reigned for 55 years. And in all of his 55 years on the throne, he infused the nation of Judah, God's people, with wickedness and idolatry, even to the point that he sacrificed his own son. He involved himself in the wickedness of child sacrifice. And look how bad things got. In 21 verse 9 we get a summary. In 2 Kings we're told. Manasseh led them astray the people to do more evil than the nations had done. Whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Under his leadership. The people became. Embroiled in greater wickedness than even the nations that God had run out. Before his people so that they could occupy the land. That is the depths to which Manasseh had taken the nation of Judah. And then Josiah's dad, Manasseh's son, Ammon, is no better. Chapter 21, verse 20, we read, Ammon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, 
his father had done. And so when Josiah comes along, we expect for Scripture to say, and Josiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Amon has done, had done. But that's not what we read. Instead, we read, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, despite what his daddy had done, despite what his granddaddy had done, Josiah bucks the trend. And what can we learn from this? What can we take away? Well, I think one thing we take away is we must reject the cynical belief in our culture that people cannot change. From many corners in our society, we have people at least implying that it is impossible to expunge yourself of sin. To get rid of the evil within you. To repent of that. It's impossible to change, we are told. And the Bible says otherwise. In fact, Christians should be the most optimistic of all people on planet earth that it's possible for people to change because the gospel has transformational power to work in people's lives and in their hearts. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 116, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. It is powerful to bring about a transformational experience of life and salvation. It's possible for people to change. We had a young man come to the church door this past week, younger than me, in his late 20s, still looked like a kid. He needed some help, and he told me that he had just a few weeks ago completed nearly a year in prison for possession of methamphetamine. And as he told me about the way that drugs had wrecked his life, he began to cry. Now, I've heard some, sob, some sob stories, and I've seen some people shed crocodile tears and sort of fake it. I didn't get this sense from him. I saw in him a broken heart and I prayed with him, which I don't always do. And I'm not bragging on myself, but I had a prayer with him. And when he looked up, his eyes were filled with tears. And he said, that stuff ruined my life. Talked about the time that it stole with his daughter, his young daughter. My heart broke for him, but at the same time, I thought, you know what? This young man can change. It's possible for him to change. Is it going to be difficult? Is it going to be hard? Has he dug himself a deep pit out of which he has to crawl? Yes. But it's possible. Because the gospel is powerful. It's possible for people to change. Family patterns can be reversed. You don't have to follow the, the path uh, that your ancestors went down. You can do the right thing. Even if your parents didn't. That's what Josiah did. Josiah changed the course. He came from a grandfather and, and father who chose a wicked path and he went in the opposite direction. Now conversely, if you are here this morning and you grew up in a godly family, then you need to recognize how blessed you are and what a gift that is. And it should be your aim, it should be your goal to build on that firm foundation. My parents are here this morning, and I'm grateful uh, to have grown up in a faithful household. I'm grateful for parents 
who took me to church every time the doors were open, even when I didn't want to be there, even when I didn't want to listen to the sermons. I'm grateful for parents who before every meal we bowed and prayed. And I don't want to waste the leg up that I have been given. The opportunity that, that has been afforded to me to have grown up in a faithful household. And you don't, you don't want to waste that either. What a wonderful opportunity that so many people don't have. What a blessing. We read about the um, prodigal son who received early his inheritance from his father and he went and wasted it, he went and squandered it. Well, listen, so many of us have been given a great spiritual inheritance. Don't squander your spiritual inheritance. Build on the foundation that was laid for you when you were young. And know also, if you didn't have that kind of foundation, you can choose different for you and for your family. That's what Josiah did. He did what was right, even though he came from a family who didn't. And another obstacle that he faced. Additionally, Josiah did what was right, even though he was young. A lot, uh, most of us who know about Josiah, the, the, the main thing that we know is that he was eight years old when he assumed the throne. He was the age of a second grader. And by 26, younger than me, by 10 years, he was overseeing this temple renovation in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, verses 3 through 7. And that's when the book of the law was found. And that's when he read it to the people. And that's when the great reforms began. And that's when the Passover was kept. He was in his late 20s. So Josiah's life is, that, uh, Josiah's life is a reminder that you are never too young to do the right thing. Never too young to do the right thing. The social construct of adolescence in our culture has caused young people to expect less of themselves. Let me say to the young people in this audience today, and I'll let you classify yourself in whatever way you'd like. If you'd like to think that you're a young person, you can imagine I'm talking to you too. Young people... You can be sold out for Jesus right now. Young people, you can do extraordinary things for God right now. Don't use your youth as an excuse to ignore the will of God. Remember the reminder that Paul gave to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Timothy, a young preacher at the church in Ephesus, Paul says, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Instead, set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Young people, you be an example for the rest of us. We need your example of zeal, of passion, of excitement for the Lord. Because sometimes some of us old people can get a little complacent. And apathetic. And we need to be reminded of the fire that ought to be burning in our bones. The passion we ought to possess for sharing the gospel. Our young people can provide that for us. You're never too young to do the right thing. By the way, while I'm here, let me also say. You're never too old to do the right thing either. You're never too old to do the right thing. Sometimes as people get older, our hearts get a little harder. Our skin gets a little tougher. And sometimes we may even think it's too late for me to turn this thing around. 
And it's too late for me to give my life to Jesus Christ. People will think, well, what's he been waiting on all these years? Why hadn't he done this sooner? Listen to me. It's never, you're never too old to do the right thing. As long as there is breath in your lungs, as long as you've got a beating heart, as long as you have a, a, a heart that can be softened, as long as you have lips willing to speak the beautiful name of Christ, you haven't waited too late to do the right thing, to do what's right. Josiah reminds us, never too young to do what's right. You're also never too old either. Finally, Josiah did what was right. Even though there were limited rewards. You see, during Manasseh's reign, God made a promise. Because of the wickedness, the extreme wickedness of Manasseh and the kings who preceded him, God says, Behold, I will bring upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because of your extreme immorality, God says, I'm going to bring destruction and punishment on the people. And let me tell you something. Before Josiah even began to bring about religious reform in the nation of Judah, he discovered that despite his penitence, that God would not, let me repeat, would not relent from the coming punishment. That he would only delay it. Beyond Josiah's rule. In fact, we're told in 23, verse 26. That even though, we read earlier, verse 25. There was no king like Josiah before him. No king like, like him after. But still, verse 26 of chapter 23. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath. So it was too little too late. To turn this ship around. For Josiah. He comes along at what is the last gasp of Judah. Before they are taken into Babylonian exile. Judah is past the point of no return. The die is cast. So what does Josiah do? Does it stop him? This news that he discovers. Does it stop him from doing what is right? Does he say, well, let's just continue in sin since the Lord will continue with his planned punishment? You already know the answer. Not in the least. Not in the least. So we must do what is right. Even if there are no immediate rewards. Even if it makes us unpopular. Even if it is unappreciated. Even if people disagree. In the strongest possible terms, even if we face persecution, we must still stand on the word of God. We must still decide to do what is right. Now, let me tell you, it is worth noting that under the new covenant of Christ, when we do what is right, we have far more to gain than Josiah and the nation of Judah. We are told in the New Testament, if we repent, he will relent. And we're promised that we can escape God's wrath through the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we do what is right, we will not face impending doom and disaster 
as the people of Judah did here. We face glory and peace and joy. So we have far more to gain under the new covenant of Christ. We must do the right thing. There may not be any immediate rewards, but by faith we know that we will be rewarded in the next life. You know, I will admit to you, we've been talking this morning about doing the right thing. And that sounds good, but it's sometimes difficult to discern the right thing, isn't it? Ethical decisions in our world today can be complex and complicated and tangled. And I don't want to minimize that, the difficulty of many of the decisions that we face. But other times, other times, the right choice is crystal clear. And we're the ones who gum it up. And we're the ones who confuse it and complicate matters. So let me just ask you, let me ask you to reflect on your own life. Let me ask you to examine yourself for a moment. What's the right thing for you to do today? What is one right thing that you need to do today that you've been putting off doing? Is it that you need to let go of that grudge? You've been holding on to it for so long and it's only brought you heartache and difficulty. Maybe it's time to drop it. Maybe that's the right thing for you to do today. Is it to say you're sorry? Yeah, maybe that person wronged you, but you said some things to them that you regret. And you didn't act fairly to them. And so, even though they haven't come to you, the right thing you know for you to do today is just to go to them. And to say, look, I'm sorry. I messed up. And don't attach a, a, a but on the end. But, 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 you did this. No, just go and say, I apologize. I'm sorry being hurtful to you. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe that's the right thing you need to do. Is it to drop that bad habit? Is it to reach out to someone in need? You know somebody out there struggling, suffering, you've been meaning to pick up the phone or pick up a pen and write them a note or go visit them but you've just been putting it off. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe that's the right thing you need to do today. Maybe today you need to spend some more time in prayer. Hadn't been praying. Like you should. And you can feel the absence of God's presence in your life as a result. Or you hadn't been reading your Bible like you know you should. That's the right thing you need to do today. What is it for you? What is the right thing for you to do today? Let me tell you, right now is always the right time to do the right thing. Tomorrow may be too late. Right now is always the right time to do the right thing. And for some of you, the right thing for you to do today is to become a Christian. You've been putting that off and putting it off. And even as I say those words, those of you within the sound of my voice, there is another voice that has eased its way into your head. And it's the voice of the evil one. It's the voice of Satan. Who will whisper to you a million reasons why it's not the right time. A million reasons why you should wait. Wait for tomorrow. Wait for next week. 
wait for next month. There's always reasons to wait to do the right thing. Don't listen to that voice. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to the voice of God who beckons you to come and to receive that wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. At the end of my life, I want people to remember me as a man who did what was right. Not as somebody who got everything right, because I know that's, well, that's off the table. And it is for you too. We're not going to get everything just right. But overall, I want to be remembered as someone who did what was right. Even when it was hard. Even when there were negative consequences. Even when there were limited rewards. He did what was right. I want to hear those words at judgment. You did what was right. Even more importantly, I want to be found as one who trusted in the Savior to make me right. To clothe me in righteousness before my God. And if you haven't been buried in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that's the right thing for you to do today. If you've reached the age where you know that you're a sinner, and you know you need a Savior, and you know Jesus is the only Savior that can rescue you from your sins, or if the right thing for you to do is today come and ask for prayers if you're struggling in any way, we want to invite you to do that right now. Right now, as we stand and sing.